We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. My country, my damn country. Give me my country. Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Kapustina. Thank you for tuning in. We continue celebrating Latinx Heritage Month, Hispanic Heritage Month, and we're bringing you conversations with cool Latinos and Latinas. And today is a special episode, truly. Um, today on the podcast, today on the podcast, Sandra Zanella. She's a mom, a physician, a yogi, and an author. She's from Guadalajara, Mexico. And Sandy told me a crazy story. And I guess I should put a trigger warning here. The interview describes a crime. And I don't want to spoil it for you. And I want you to hear it in Sandy's words, especially considering that it's only the second time she's ever told this story publicly. But to sum it up for you, 10 years ago, Sandy got a phone call in the middle of the night and she had to leave her home immediately and was never able to go back. And as I was listening to her telling me this story, I kept thinking about how we'll watch these Netflix documentaries and TV shows about cartels and crimes and kidnappings and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's all exciting and thrilling. And, and then we read on the news about cartels taking over whole regions and terrorizing people. And it's all out there somewhere. And we forget that it is indeed real life for someone. And it was the first time I heard this kind of a story firsthand. Sandy also talked about how the events of that night and the following events impacted her for the rest of her life. And to this day, she's dealing with this. And I'm truly grateful to her for having the guts to share this story. The crazy thing that the ironic thing about this is that of course I didn't know about this story and it wasn't a reason I invited Sandy to the podcast I found her on Instagram and her Instagram is my mindful mom life and from this name you kind of can you know understand what kind of story I was going after the reason I wanted to record this conversation is that I've come to notice that despite all the talk of family values and the value of the family, family in the U.S. always comes second to business and career. And that's just how it is. Everyone always assumes that if someone's kicking ass, it has to be in the professional field. And to be honest, I do that too, for the most part, because I'm just as much of a product of the society as anyone else. The more valuable was this conversation because I want to bring you all kinds of different stories of people finding their place in life and finding their version of the American dream. Sandy's story is one of truly fearless self-discovery and commitment to family. Her story is a story of a kick-ass mom. I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Sandy. So when did you come to the States and where did you come here from? It's going to be 10 years this October 24th. 
And I came from Mexico, from Guadalajara. We're actually same year immigrants then, because I just celebrated my 10 years in the States, in California on August 20th. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations to you. <laughs> it's a big, uh, big chunk of life. It is. Yeah, it flies. It flies. And so how would you describe yourself? What are you? Well, I am uh, right now my mom. I am a physician also, but I'm not practicing. Uh, I did my medical school in Mexico. I stopped because I decided I wanted to be a mom full time. But now I also feel like I want to do something else. So you're rediscovering. Yeah. That's a great place to be in. I'm there too. And I think it's part of the immigration process. And sometimes it, it's faster, sometimes it's longer, and it's a process. So let's start from back home. How did you, how did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Uh, my family is, nobody was in medi medicine. All of them were tourism or something like that. My family, they're all loving, very supportive. They always tried to help me, even if they didn't like maybe have all the means. They were always pushing me to fulfill my dreams. And so what what made you think about medical field? You know, I always uh, wanted to help some way. At the beginning, I wanted to be like a paramedic because in, in the small city that I was living, there was no medical school. So, but my father said like, you know what, go to the, to well, move to Guadalajara and student. It's like a real, you know, doctor, if that's your passion. So me and my brother, I have a twin. So we moved together. Did you, did you graduate there or did you move? No, no, I graduated. I was starting my um, residency, my specialty, but then I moved to the US. And what made you move? Uh, the insecurities, uh, the, you know, Mexico, although it's good for vacation and everything, a lot of us have um, one of my closest family members like, got kidnapped. Well, it was my father. He called me and he's the only thing he said, like, um, hija in, in Spanish means daughter, but he never called me hija, you know, he never called me daughter. Like he would call me my name or other yeah. sweet things. He's like, daughter, give them what they ask. Don't call police. And it was like midnight. So I was like asleep and I was like, what, what, who's this? And he repeated the exact same sentence. And I was like, who, who's this? And you always hear in the radio that you have to hang up. So I feel so bad till today because I hang up on him because I didn't recognize him. I didn't know it was him, you know, nothing. I, I just felt like, what is going on, you know? Oh my God. So I hang up and, but still I had like, what's going on? I called my brother. He has this ability to put me like concentrated, you know, like, okay, don't panic. Like, just like Sandra, stop it. Just focus, grab your papers go to the car, look everywhere, you know, and go to your friend's house, drive through the big streets. Mm -hmm. So I went, I called my mom and I asked her to go to my dad's house to see if he was there. Mm -hmm. She went and because we were not living in the same city, just my mom was living. Yeah. So she went there and she said like, there's one car, but the other car is not, not there. Mm -hmm. But it could be, it could mean anything, right? Like, yeah. Who knows? Maybe he's yeah. out or something. So, well, that night, of course, I didn't sleep because nobody called again. And then that was a Saturday night, midnight. Mm -hmm. And then Sunday morning, 
they called my dad's girlfriend, but they didn't want to tell me because I was alone and they thought I was going to freak out or something. So my mm -hmm. mom was there talking to the, the accountant and every, everyone, like my family. And she flew to my city on Monday. And that's when they told me. And then I, I, I felt like terrible because I was like, okay, I hang up on my dad. Like maybe what, what if, what if it, it's my fault that something's going to happen to him? And um, she said, like, we have to go somewhere, like move or whatever. So you choose. It was like, you can choose anywhere, right? Like outside from Mexico. So I was like, well, are you coming? And nobody want, was going to come with me. I, I needed to go alone because they needed to deal with all this stuff. Oh, my God. Like money or whatever, like negotiation, you know. And they wanted me to go out because I was the contact, the first contact. So I decided to go to LA. Wow. I had family in Europe, but I thought it's too far from Mexico. Yeah. So I thought LA is just one flight, three hours, something like that. Yeah. My body was moving automatically, but my mind was like very worried and scared. Yeah. And so what, what ended up happening? What, how did this situation evolve? Two months after they found him or he was he was released okay yeah I couldn't see him for like six months in total because he was very um well he lost a lot of weight you know and he didn't want to see me I I feel today I understand that he didn't want to see me uh because he didn't want me to have this impact on his yeah. image the way he looked you know um do you know why they picked your father no, it was like random. I, I guess I have heard all, all other friends, like they, even my friends from school, they've been like express kidnapped, like which means for one day they have them in the car and they stop at very, uh, like five ATMs and they take withdraw money from their cars, but they're in the trunk. So they're driving around the city, you know, until they get like whatever amount they can from their cards. And then they drop them somewhere far. So there's different types of kidnaps. So I think it's just random selection. Or um, my dad had businesses. So also is that maybe they thought he was like a or something. Yeah. And what kind of business did he have? Uh, tourism, like restaurants. How did your family manage to get your dad out? Um, so over the two months, uh, they were kind of negotiating and they were asking you know like for the cars and the uh, papers for his house and all of these things like little by little you know like they were getting until they got like whatever they needed or like because of course they asked for money but it was not enough you know like we didn't have enough to give them what they were asking so like it was like kind of like, I give you this, I give like whatever there was, you know, like property. So they took everything? Yeah. Oh my God. And uh, you couldn't get police involved? It was so weird. Like after they just dropped him somewhere out there, like he doesn't know where he was, like somewhere out there in the nature. And they called the police, like saying, we have dropped this guy here and go pick him up. But they couldn't track them whatsoever. Like we, we don't know what. But you couldn't get police involved in the negotiation and any of that? At the beginning, no. But then uh, then we did. But they don't really help if they think it's something that's, that you can handle by paying. 
it's just a corruption. Maybe I think they were involved with, I don't know, it's just, I don't want to point or say things, but it's not how you think, you know, like they act in, you see in the movies and they call and they come with the phone and tracking the lines and all of this. No, it's very like you go and they, they just put on a paper, you know, very, very shallow. Yeah. Formal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so did you ever find out who, who were the kidnappers? No, he had um, some thoughts because, of course, it also in Mexico, they ask for this um, thing. It's called piso in Spanish, which means like the land or the floor. They go mm-hmm. to businesses mm-hmm. and they ask for the monthly amount. Like you're going to pay 50,000 pesos every month. If not, we're going to take your business. In Russia, we call it, it's it's funny because in Mexico, you call it uh, floor, you said? Yeah, yeah, same in Italy. In Russia, we call it roof. Oh, really? It's the same thing, same concept. Yeah, the, the thugs come and, and take a monthly rent for the roof. Oh, wow. And he got a couple of per, like people asking, but he just said, like, you know, if you want to take it, you're going to fight with me. He never wanted, you know. So maybe that was that. Like, Is he still around? Yeah. How's he doing? Yeah, good. Like, he's very good. He moves. He has his girlfriend now. and Very peaceful now. He learned to, you know, slow, live slowly and, you know. Did he manage to rebuild his business? No, that we, none of us came back there. Like, we were just like, that's it for that city. He now he's, has his business and everything, but like in, in the U.S., he moved to the U.S. also. Wow. But I, I still deal with post-traumatic syndrome because it's kind of, I'm very paranoid now. I can imagine. You know, like I'm always looking like somebody's going to come and, and get me. The, yeah. But thank God, thank God nothing happened to him and, you know, we're good other than whatever money or whatever like he's he's okay wow i mean i have heard people tell me that things like that happen but i've never talked to anyone who has experienced that so i uh i appreciate you sharing this because i think for many people who live in the states i mean they watch you know documentaries and movies about cartels and this and that and um it's kind of like out there and it's not real movie. Yeah. It's on the screen. It's, it's some imaginary world, but hearing it from you and knowing that you've gone through that, this is just, whoa. Um, Yeah. And you know, I wasn't always talking about it. Just like it actually, you're the second place I talk about because I didn't want to, at the beginning I had this, like, I don't want, but then my therapist was like, you have to, you know, just talk and it's going to, help me also get over it. So I'm trying to be open now. <laughs> I appreciate it so much, you sharing. And so how much time did you have to pack and go? Couldn't even go back to my apartment. Like my family thought I shouldn't go back. My brother said like, take your papers, important things, my dog. But I couldn't say bye to my friends. I couldn't, my family, you know, like just one day you're here, the other year. That's very intense and so how did it go can you tell me well because i didn't know of course you don't know what's going to happen so i thought like as soon as hopefully praying and everything he's back i would go back right yeah that's what i thought that was my thought at the beginning right 
And because I also was like, uh, I had my plan, like my, I never visualized myself living abroad. Right. In February, I was planned to, that was in the, over the summer. For February, um, I was planned to start my specialty, but then my family kept saying like, you know what, no, I don't think you should just um, start a new life there. And that was kind of like peace at the beginning, you know, like, because I had zero plan. Like I was nothing. I was not doctor, not nothing in the U.S. Zero. I didn't have studies, let's say. But then I met uh, my best friend. She's Russian, actually. And and I moved in with her. Like I met her and it was like a friend, love at first sight. You know, I, I saw her and we clicked. And then she was like, I would live with this other girl, like if you want to move with us, like, and that kind of made me see the life different. And for her, it was like, I want to live here. I saw like her side and I was like, well, maybe I should also see if, I mean, I need to be here. So maybe why not changing the perspective, you know? And So meeting her helped you transform your own vision. Yeah. Exactly. And then I went to UCLA to a conference. I met this uh, professor. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go just and ask if I can help in any way, like just to be near, like do something, you know? Mm-hmm. He was uh, very kind. He was willing to help me in any way, you know, very, very nice person. And I started doing research with him. What kind of research? In neurobiology. It was uh, sleep apnea in children. Oh, wow. And... Then that's where I um, met my husband. Mm. Then the doctor, he said, like, I can help you with a master's and a PhD if that's what you want. And I was like, well, maybe that's another option. But then it was like a double proposal. My husband proposing me and the doctor like saying, I can help you, you know? And so I was like, what should I do? (laughs) Then I decided to go with my husband. We moved to Miami. And as soon as I got to Miami, I got pregnant. Mm. I decided to put it on hold. And then I got pregnant with my second baby. And I, I didn't go back to medicine. Right. And how did you meet your husband? I have to ask. <laughs> At a restaurant. This, this place is in, in Beverly Hills. But the DJ, he's Italian. It was fancy, but not um, for young people or whatever. No, like, <laughs> but we like the music. And uh, it was love at first sight. He started like sending me water. I told him I don't drink, so he sent me water, juice, and whatever, you know, because he saw me I was dancing. And then the day after he asked me out, after that we would see each other every every single day. Magic happens. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> that was a amazing transformation, amazing transition. And so how were these first few months in the states um when you realized that you're you're staying here what were your thoughts well i was kind of um scared because i felt like i was nothing or i didn't have anything and also it was hard for me because looking back to my hometown like everybody was already like doing what they loved you know like working with patients at the hospitals or whatever and I was there like, I don't have anything. I, I can't even work because I, I was on a tourist visa. Yeah. It was it was hard at the beginning, but thank God this professor, he helped me. And I think he gave me hope, you know. He was like always like, if you need to study, if you need time, you can always just leave. You know, he was always trying to teach me things. Like, so for me, he was very, 
like a good um, model, role model for me. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? For years, I was just like mom, 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 mom life, mm -hmm. <laughs> only mom. And then there was this group on Facebook, like Mexican doctor moms, right? And there were like uh, 13,000 doctors. Oh, wow. M Mexican doctor moms in America. No, no, no. In Mexico. Oh, in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. And then they decided to divide the group in states. And then there was a foreign group where we were all like living abroad. We were about 80. Two of them, they said, like, why don't we write a book about our stories? Like why we migrated and everything. So everything was um, through WhatsApp or email. But two years after we published and we already have like the... Mm, the presentation in the Mexican embassy in Texas, in McAllen, and then in LA. Mm -hmm. When did the book come out? Came out a year ago. Congratulations. That's thank you. So cool. Tell me a little bit about what you wrote in that book. Challenges of being a mom without the, your tribe, your family, you know. That's really tough. What are the biggest things that you want to give them of your Mexican heritage? Um, the warm, like how we always are very welcoming, um, friendly. You know, I want them to be like that, like kind, thinking about others, you know, because Mexico, we are very united as a family also. Like um, grandma and grandpa they end up living at their at our houses you know like all of this family wise we are very warm and also italians so that's definitely something i want them to learn and to see whenever we go to mexico like they see families like even with friends like big families getting together every sunday you know they're we are very family oriented country yeah russians are similar like that mm -hmm. too. yeah this kind of a shock to see how uh, American society is quite different in that sense. And people maybe see each other a couple times a year living in different states. And then when parents get older, they go to a nursing home. And of course, it's sometimes it's good, you know, because it helps the family. But in Russia, the only reason a person would go to a nursing home is they have nobody. The same thing. The same thing is in Mexico. Like that, I think that's why we... We are shocked because sometimes it's better even for the, for the elderly people to go to a nursery because maybe they're like uh, they're not eating well or their medications. But in our countries, it's like oh, they don't love him; they just put him away. You know, like it's it's like like that. So yeah, of course, this is something that I want them to to learn and and know that we we are always going to be together. You know, and we have to continue seeing each other. Or calling each other if we don't live near. Yeah. Um, hold on. Am I forgetting something? After some time passed and you went through the first stage of adjustment and finding kind of your footing in, in the States, what were the harder things in the following years? Um, just accepting that I was not going to practice was very hard for me to let go of medicine because that was my passion did you have to make that decision yeah because um with what i lived through with, with my dad and everything 
everything changed. Like before I would say like, I am going to, we're all different, you know, like in, in, there's no right and wrong. But for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to work and my kids are going to have like a daycare or nanny or whatever. But then after what happened to my dad, for me, it's like my priorities change and my my family, I wanted to raise my daughter. I wanted to be with her, you know, like, so I decided to put medicine aside to in order to be with my daughter and raise her the way I wanted to. Just being with my family, you know, enjoy my family because you never know. For sure. Yeah, that, that one is always there. And so when you realize that you have to let go of medicine, what was the thinking then? At the beginning, I thought I was going to get back on track, like after two years, let's say, like after she would be able to, you know, walk or talk a little bit. But then as soon as she turned two, I got pregnant. So mm. there goes another baby. So another two years. So then, yeah. <laughs> so here I am. He's two now. So. So you're you're starting a new a new thing now, kind of. Right now, I am writing a kids yoga book. Uh huh. And I hope it it can be launched like anywhere in one to two months. Oh, that's fantastic! Please let me know. I'll let our audience know because I know people think about how to get kids into yoga. Um, I did want to ask you: Do you feel American? I felt American the day I became American because it's very um. Tell me about that. It's so funny because we always have something. <laughs> Our lives are very like, we always have a bump, a little bump. I had my first interview the day my daughter was born. Of course, my daughter was supposed to born after. And you know, you cannot choose your date. So they put the day for May 20 at, at 1 p.m. So my daughter decided to come earlier and she was born May 20 at 8 a.m. So you were in the, in the hospital, literally. I was in the hospital, and they wouldn't let me. Like the hospital, I was like, "Are you crazy? You're not going out." So <laughs> you were but, going to go, no, because the lawyer said like you cannot ignore this like uh, um, appointment because they would take it as um, you're not interested. So they would flag you and stop. Oh so it's like, what should I do? So we asked for papers from the doctor and. And my husband went to the interview. Of course, they didn't. They didn't take it as an interview. They rescheduled. But this way, we could we could like follow the like the steps because otherwise, the lawyers are like, "You must go." Like, there's no way. There's no chance. So then, I love that you were going to go actually with a newborn baby. Yeah, five hours after giving birth. <laughs> Imagine. And then the day I became American. It was in LA, the, the convention center, it was full. And, and then of course I was wearing heels and then it got stuck on the escalator. It broke. I had to walk barefoot <laughs> like to get my, my papers and everything to sign. That's oh my funny. God. And, but barefoot Mexican lady. <laughs> um, but it's very very emotional like you are reading it and they're very like they say welcome my brothers and sisters and you are part of this land you know how they always like make it very poetry style like very like romantic so it it was like that it was like very touching like then they put a video uh with a song like the lyrics were also very like you know patriotic and you welcome to uh, you are now American and all these things. 
the video was with the flag and the families, different ethnicities. My husband, he was like, you're going to cry. And I was like, why? No, but really, it's very emotional, like very sentimental. I still, I'm still not a citizen yet. I'm going to apply hopefully this year. Um, and uh, hopefully next year uh, become a citizen. But uh, anybody who I talk to about this, everybody talks about it as very emotional. That's why I'm always curious. It's a big uh, transition. So I was asking you if you feel American. Yeah, um, I, I feel LA like my home, even if we lived uh, already like in Miami, New York, Mexico. Um, Every time we go back to LA, if we're somewhere else, I feel LA is my home. Um, but I, I think I will always feel Mexican. You know, if you ask me, my first instinct is going to say I'm Mexican. Maybe adding the Mexican American would work for me, but because I was not born here, um, it's kind of my mind doesn't realize, you know, I know I'm American by papers and everything. But um, I do, I fight for like, you know, whatever America is going through and uh, president and all. I get very passionate also, immigrants, like all of this. But I think if you ask me, like the first thing I'm going to say is I'm Mexican and then add the American. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like in the States somehow, like whenever anyone asks you, what are you? It is assumed that you're something else other than American. Right. Yeah. So what, what do you feel is the biggest thing that you got out of this experience uh, of becoming American or coming to America in terms of your personal growth? For me, it's the giving my children the opportunity to live in a safer country with more opportunities, you know, like better quality life. Like this is, for me, this is a blessing to have my children born here and being american um it's like the best that i can get from all my my moving and everything process and what about yourself what did it give you in terms of not just you know having the opportunity or meeting your husband obviously those are fantastic beautiful things but did it change you yeah it opened every every single like even the way i see people like in mexico where mostly only Mexicans like there's no this is not a like a country where you see other um people from other countries so this was the first thing like for example I never met someone like uh from the Middle East or Jewish like when I was uh, living in Mexico never and then being able to celebrate like uh Eid like uh Ramadan or Rosh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. we did all of this together. Like when I moved um, with my friend, we moved to another apartment and this apartment was, um, this building was full of um, Middle Eastern students and also Jewish. And so we built our community, our friendship. We were over the summer, every single day we were having barbecues together and we were celebrating all of our festivities. Like there was no, they wouldn't say, oh, no, no, I am this religion. I'm not going to celebrate Christmas with you. No, we were all, you know, adapting and knowing each other's cultures. 
so the, oh, it opened my eyes like to a bigger world, you know, not just my Mexico and I don't know anyone else. And my um, career-wise, I also feel like they're more encouraging in America. Like um, if you cannot do this because your degree is not certified in the U.S. or whatever, there's always a way, you know, there's always something that you can do to, to grow. What do you feel are the harder things for you to accept about American life? That they're very, um, with children, there's no tolerance towards kids. You know, it happened a couple of times that I'm even scared sometimes to go to, it's you, you feel judged. Hmm. So this is kind of the hardest because even in Mexico, like they, they're very kids friendly that they will try to cheer them in any possible way. But there is like, you always get a, like a look or even, even they, they, they say, they say like, oh, crying or <laughs> stuff like that. So, it's so it's so odd to me to see those little things and we talked about you know how elderly are kind of like separated from the family and there's always this talk of you know family values and traditions and you know but then there's so much judgment against um against motherhood against parenting yeah against and and yeah it, it just really feels like a hypocrisy in the society mm -hmm. and for the society really to survive it needs mothers it needs children to keep going yeah and uh, most people don't realize this but if it was not for immigrants america would be dying out because americans who are local uh from here they don't, they literally don't produce enough children for America to sustain itself. Um, so there has to be more understanding of, of family and more, um, I don't know, kindness. And I don't know, even the policies, you know, I, as, as I said, I don't have kids yet. And I'm thinking how I can make that happen. Um, and same as you, I don't have my tribe here, except for I've created, you know, my tribe of friends, but it's not the same where mm -hmm. you can just dump your kid <laughs> on them any given moment and just, you know, go do errands. And uh, yeah, definitely American and Los Angeles is not, is not kid friendly. <laughs> it's also that maybe if I move to, I don't know, another state or city is going to be more but yeah definitely in LA it's very hard it's very judging like whatever you're doing with your children if they're crying because they're crying if you're being too nice to them because you're being too nice you know like it's you always feel watched like if I do this they're gonna think I'm too nice to them or you know I come to the point that I don't care and if she's crying I'm gonna be with her because I I do like I I follow mindfulness parenting, which is like being with them, accepting their feelings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but still, a, a small part of me like looks up, you know, to see who's watching me. Like if she's or him, he's crying. I always tell my husband because my husband he's more um, he gets more frustrated if someone's looking or if they're screaming or something. I was like, who cares? Like we've all been kids, big kids, and. Um, we all cry and it's, it's that you have to understand that their brains are still not mature enough. That's their way of communication. 
And it's normal. Like, yeah, it's loud sometimes. And yeah, it's, 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 we have to understand that it's our triggers that also bother us, you know, like deep inside us, why you're doing this is because they, in my childhood, somebody scream at me and screaming gets me very angry or frustrated or anything. So it's all of that. So now I'm like, okay, if you're crying, you can cry. I'm here, you know, I'm just with them. And if people want to see, well, yeah, you can see, like, learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I think, uh, and I think if you are at peace with that, they they see it and they have to kind of accept it. If you're if you're not freaking out, they're going to be like, oh, exactly. I guess that's normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully they <Yeah>. learn. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Um, is there is there anything else about your immigration or intercultural life that you'd like to share? Yeah, just uh, that at the beginning I thought it was a bad decision, but now I'm certain that everything turned out perfectly for me. Like um, I'm happy with my life. I'm happy with where I live. I love everything. You know, like I know it's intimidating. But if someone that's hearing us now, like I would say, go for it, like take a chance because for me, it's not great. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing mm -hmm. your story. I, no, I really love it. Me. Okay. And uh, please let me know when the book is out and yeah. uh, I'll definitely give you a shout out. Yeah, I will. Thank you so much. Like I really enjoy and I love your project. And Thank you. I'm here, I'm here also. For you. Thank you. That's it for today. I hope it was fun. I hope you got something out of this. Let me know what you think. Shoot me a note. And please share. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Love you all. Peace.